The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So as we continue this meditation, I'd like to offer some words of guidance or reflection on the theme for today. And the theme is patience. And I was hoping that the sounds would continue so that we could practice patience. Important part of patience as a as part of practice is to learn to be patient with the conditions in which you practice. Being patient means not to be adverse, not to be impatient, not to spend a lot of agitated time thinking you wish it was different. but to stay practicing in the midst of it, breathing, attentive, present. Finding a certain strength or stability where the practice is unswayed by the circumstances or by your, even by your being aversive to it. There's something inside of you is able to keep going and not be tripped up by your thoughts, your reactions, circumstances around you. And perhaps it's going to stay quieter from the machinery outside now. But you might reflect a little bit or look inside of you and consider what understandings, what orientation, what practice do you have that supports you in being patient in your practice with whatever challenges might come up in the moment. What understandings, What inner capacities do you call upon when things are challenging that allows you to persevere, keep going?
So good morning and welcome to our Dharma practice day at IMC. And uh, the topic today is patience and it's a part of a 10 part series having to do with the, what's often called the perfections in English uh, or the kind of higher virtues that um, supports Buddhist practice. And there are 10 of these virtues or 10 of these states and um, beginning with generosity and ethics and renunciation and wisdom and then uh, effort or energy and then today it's patience and then there's resolve and um, I think or we might want truthfulness, resolve and um, loving kindness and equanimity. So we're kind of in the number six now with patience. And uh, it makes sense that patience would follow the parami, the perfection on effort or energy, because once you apply effort and energy and um, you're doing stuff, you better be patient. So, um, so there's this kind of sequence is wisdom, has the role of telling us what to do, energy engages us in the practices that we do, and then patience allows us <clears throat> to do those practices in an effective way and without being interrupted or held back. So that's kind of the theme for today. For those of you who are new to a Dharma practice day, <clears throat> it's a way of engaging in some Dharma topic in community, um, some meditation, some teaching, um, and also some exercises or ways of having discussions about it uh, together in small groups or in pairs. And part of the reason for having the small group or pair discussions is that this is a way of um, making the, ter- the topic personalized. Kind of understand where you fit with it, fit with it, how you relate to it, and get, you know, engage in a process of active reflection and listening. That's a different way of learning than just listening to a talk or just reading. Uh, it's, I think it, uh, we, we engage more personally in the material. And so that's part of the value of this, this day. And some people find it uh, uh, quite special to have some place in their life where they can have focused or concentrated conversations about these kinds of important Dharma topics. Because you know, if you were out and about at a, at a party on Friday night, and, and, you know, you're probably not going to get a lot of traction in the party if you start saying, let's talk about patience. <clears throat> so, you know, here we have, this, here we have a chance. <clears throat> If you're patient enough, we'll talk about patience. And, uh, you know, it was a kind of coincidence and a kind of, uh, you know, thought it was unfortunate that they stopped the machine just when I was going to, you know, include the sounds of the machine as part of our practice of patience. Sometimes on these Fridays we have the leaf blowers, (coughs) but they didn't accommodate us either today. (coughs) That they might soon... And um, I thought it would be nice to have that sound, which is, for some people, it's kind of uh, grating to have, um, use it as a, as a backdrop for reflecting on your, you know, in more in real time, your relationship to patience and being patient with under challenging circumstances. I remember when I was practicing in Thailand, um, I was practicing at the end of the monastery, at the edge of the monastery, and on the other side of the edge was a big field, farmer's field. 
and I was given a small hut that was right up, I don't know, I don't know how far it was from the fence of the monastery, but you know, two, three feet or something. And, um, and one day I started hearing that kind of sound of kind of, kind of motor engine <clears throat> working its way, coming closer and closer and took, you know, and about halfway through the day, it was someone who was, uh, had some kind of tractor or backhoe or something, and they were digging a trench <clears throat> on the edge of the property on the farmer's side. And so they were coming and coming and louder and louder. And it got so loud when it finally got to me that the floor of my little cut was shaking. <clears throat> it was a hot season in Thailand, and I was sweating and all the sound. And I just kind of, my job was just to sit there and practice with that. And the floor shaking and... <clears throat> It was quite something. And uh, so I just kept, I kept practicing, just sitting with it and um, practicing and sitting. And, and uh, certainly I had a lot of reactions and irritations and impatience around it. And slowly, slowly in the course of the day, the sound got less and less as they kept going down the field, down the fence line. And eventually, you know, end of the day, it stopped. And if you practice in Asia, that's one of the qualities that are really important, is patience. Uh, you might not know this, but here in America, generally we have, in comparison, pristine conditions for practice. <clears throat> um, even in this urban setting here, it's pretty good compared to how you have in Bangkok, where horns are blaring and it's just pretty noisy. And meditation monasteries in Asia, it's a little bit unusual to find them being quiet places, especially in places like Thailand and Burma. And um, you can find them, but uh, it's not what they're known for being. Not because they're not quiet in the monastery, but the surrounding sounds can be quite a bit. And so when I was in Burma, one of the more prestigious or biggest uh, meditation monasteries in Burma was in the edges of Rangoon, Yangon. And um, and there were lots of other temples nearby, <clears throat> but uh, and um, you know and so and uh, and, uh, and homes and towns and everything, and one of the things that people back then, twenty five years ago, loved to do in Thailand and Burma <clears throat> was to uh, play music over the loudspeakers, and so I I spent weeks weeks, you know, sitting, meditating with very scratchy uh, speakers blaring Burmese pop music and rock and roll music out across the neighborhood. And, um, and some of it was West, songs I knew in the West who were, that were, um, I guess, were dubbed into or, or done in being sung in Burmese. But like Madonna's uh, Just Like a Virgin was, I heard that, you know, I don't know how many times I heard it. The only, only, only uh, benefit was it was in Burmese. <laughs> you know, and, and then the the clinger was um, uh, there was a, a, a seven day kind of uh, Buddhist holiday uh, in in Burma <clears> that I think it's celebrating the, the the very important event when the Buddha uh, uh, supposedly went up into the heavens. This Buddhist mythology and taught the Abhidhamma text to his mother. Mother died, but she didn't benefit from the teachings. So he went up there and taught her the seven books of the Abhidhamma, which uh, are really hard to understand, even people who know a lot about Buddhism. And, um, but so anyway, his mother got these very arcane, you know, 
very technical teachings. But in Burma, it's very important. These, these texts are very, very important. And so to commemorate this event, for seven days, <coughs> they would um, um, blast on these scratchy speakers, the neighboring temples, day and night, 24 hours a day, uh, people reading these texts because they're supposed to have protective qualities. I'm going to take care of, protect the neighborhood or something to do it. So you want to kind of spread these teachings all over. And again, I didn't know, no idea what they were saying, luckily. <clears throat> but this, you know, glaring. So um, Buddhism has come down to us over the centuries in tr- through trying conditions. War, famine, poverty, um, the conditions in which Buddhism has survived over these centuries of, you know, prosperity has come and gone. And some people have persevered, have kept it going, kept showing up, and kept practicing. They didn't have enough food, they didn't have shelter, they were, had to be forced to move and go to new places. Um, they were put in prison. All kinds of, all kinds of adverse situations that they have practiced in. And I can say confidently that Buddhism, Buddhist practice wouldn't have reached us today uh, if there hadn't been people who had a very strong sense of um, patience, perseverance, endurance under tremendous challenges and distress. Um, that's kind of the legacy. That's what, we re- you know, that's what we've received. And partly what that means is that um, whoever those people were, who had to practice under very adverse situations and somehow kept the teachings and the practices going and passed them on to the next generation, um, they managed with it. They, they, they thrived in it. They, they discovered something to pass on. Um, what we received here is, you know, it can be offered as stress reduction in clinical settings in America. And, you know, it's nice to have stress reduction if people have stress stressful jobs and, but that's not what it was designed to do it was designed to do something much more powerful <clears throat> and it, something that's applicable in all kinds of circumstances um, in whatever circumstance you find yourself in and so to have patience is one of the keys to develop patience and some of you probably know that um, you know maybe you, were, you realized pretty quickly if you started meditating that one of the first lessons that most people need to learn if they have a meditation practice or a mindfulness practice, a Buddhist practice, is patience. Um, people who want to do it efficiently and fast, you sometimes will kind of run into a brick wall. You know, it doesn't work to have, you know, be in a hurry. You know, let's get in a get enlightened hurry. Let's get enlightened in it quickly so we can go, get on to other things. And there's all kinds of wonderful things to do in this world. And you have to go through your, you know, your list of things that you want to accomplish in this lifetime and you know, enlightenment is only one of them. So you want to get on with it so you can take your vacation to Fiji and do the other great things, right? But patience is really crucial and central. And so exactly what patience is, is uh, and whether the English word patience is the right translation for the Pali, the Buddhist word is kanti, and it's a very rich word, kshanti in Sanskrit. And uh, whether the connotations that that word in Pali had for the people in ancient India 
are the same as the connotations we have with the word patience is an open question. So we have to be a little bit careful when you hear the word patience in English that we don't automatically or quickly um, kind of uh, uh, see it through the lens of our usual associations with the word, but rather be willing to kind of, at least today, consider what, el- what else might this word mean or what are the different approaches or how, can I, how could you understand this word where it becomes an asset and not a liability, where it becomes a, something that you love as opposed to something that you feel is um, a drag. You know, it's unfortunate you have to practice patience. And it just seems like it weighs you down. I, uh, I think the purpose, you know, the purpose of patience ultimately is not to persevere, not to endure, but to uh, help you feel joy, feel lighter and happier. Um, and, uh, and one of the ways that that can have comes to people traditionally is there is a kind of happiness that can come from knowing that you did not give in. You do not give in to your anger. You do not give in to your impatience. You do not give in to your, give in to your agitation. You didn't give in to your doubt. But you kind of were able to kind of stay on course, stay present, and not let the stuff interfere with the direction you're going. The direction you're going was important, and you stay with it. And there's a kind of, rather than feeling that you're, you know, it's unfortunate you couldn't give in to your anger, uh, the traditional idea is just like celebrate, be glad. That's just great. And um, so part of the function of patience is to be able to keep on track without getting pulled into the reactivities and the judgments and the impatience form, for, forces of impatience that we have that come up for us. It's not a statement that you're not supposed to have those reactions come up. It's rather a very generous understanding. They will come up. And then how do you relate to it in such a way that it's for your betterment? How do you relate to it in such a way that you're, it, you become better because of it? Uh, it'd be very unfortunate if you practice patience and it just ground you down. Uh, that doesn't really you know, make sense in terms of Buddhist practice. The idea is well, how, how can patience be... A, be a welcome practice, something that feels desirable. This is great, I want to do this. This is for my betterment. What kind of understanding is needed for that? What kind of approach is needed for that? Um, So patience. So I thought that uh, a way to begin, to kind of do a foundation for exploration today, is... uh, without me saying anything more, is to have you um, uh, turn to someone next to you and just whatever comes up for you, whatever you know, whatever associations or thoughts that just arise, don't spend a lot of time um, trying to get a good answer, the right answer, is um, currently, up to now, or before you came to the class, in your life, what has your, been your relationship with patients? That's a very open-ended question. You know, so different people will answer the question in very different ways. Um, and that's meant to be that way, just to kind of see what comes out of you. What has been your relationship to patience? And the way we'll do this, this um, approach is um, each person will talk for five minutes. And the other person will just listen. 
And as you just just see what comes out of you for five minutes, maybe it's longer than you have you ever talked about patience before. Maybe you run out of the obvious things to say. That's great, because it's still your turn to speak in the five minutes. So see what else comes out. So maybe there's some other angles, other perspectives. See what comes what comes along from it for five minutes, and then I'll ring the bell. And when you hear the bell, we'll stop and be quiet for a minute just to kind of regroup. regroup. And then we'll, you'll switch roles. And uh, the other person speaks and the other person, first person listens. When we do these kinds of, this kind of contemplative conversation or, or talking, uh, it's very different than ordinary conversations we have with people. And one of the big differences is that um, we're not trying to um, um, inform the other person. And that's usually we're kind of like trying to tell them something. The other person is a witness for you as you explore for yourself. If anybody's you're talking to, you're talking to yourself. You know, about the, what is my relationship with, with, with patience and how does that work for me and what did I learn growing up and what did I, you know, whenever I had to do it or where, you know, you know, just kind of so you're exploring on your own. Not that I recommend it necessarily, but some people when do this kind of conversation will actually close their eyes when they're speaking so they're kind of free themselves up for the social interaction of speaking, but, you know, as you wish. But the idea, the idea is it's not informing the person. Don't worry about getting something across to the person. It also means that if you have a story to tell about that's related to all this, you know the story already. And since you're not telling the story for their sake, you're telling the story for you to help you understand something, you might get to the point quickly or you might kind of avoid spending a long time telling a story you know all too well. Um, because it's not, you're not informing the other person. Does that make sense? Okay, great. So if you don't mind, why don't you uh, pair up with someone, and I don't know if we're odd or even here, but if, the, if you don't find a partner, um, come towards the front here, towards, towards me.